You are watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by me, Scott Weiser. I've worked as either an animator or director on more than 30 projects, both short and feature length, and my favorite projects have been these books, which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as feature films. Today I have a wonderful guest with me. Glenn Harmon won a Student Academy Award for his short film, Pajama Gladiator. And then he went on to storyboard at Sony, DreamWorks, and now he's the head of story at Skydance Animation. If you haven't heard much about Skydance yet, it's because they've done mostly live action, and now they're doing their first live, uh, their first animated features. So, say hi, Glenn. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Scott. Yeah, Glenn has... Cold, man. Yeah, he has a bit of a cold, so... <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Hopefully the, audio's, the audio is balanced, and you can hear me and him equally. And uh, I'll try to speak a little less so that you can hear him a lot more in this episode. Don't speak less. Don't speak <laughs> less. It'll be hard enough to talk. Okay, awesome. Well, great. So what I, what I really wanted to focus on in this episode, Glenn, is the idea of storyboards as a director's tool. A lot of people actually, some of my listeners don't even know too much about animation, so they're not familiar with the storyboarding process. They know it happens. And then a lot of my viewers actually are very involved in animation. So uh, can you explain what storyboarding is as a director's tool? Yeah, I've, <clears throat> I've often referred to storyboarding as making the, the comic book version of the movie. So we take a script and we draw things out so that this, the director in the studio can visualize what the potential is going to be. So it's it's... Just looking at it, it's not animated, but sometimes there are some story artists who go a little bit crazy. Yeah, and, and animate a little bit in there. and yeah. yeah, and they add a lot of extra frames. But the point is to test out the project and, yeah. and to see. It's a very in, inexpensive way to test out to see whether or not the project is working. And it's it should be fast. It should be dirty, but it should communicate. That's like the biggest thing. It should communicate what the director is looking for. That way he can share his vision with the studio executives and they can all decide, along with everybody in the studio, whether or not this project is going in the right direction. So it's a big testing um, platform. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and uh, which do you prefer? Do you prefer it when, when it's more rough or do you prefer it when people go a little bit overboard? And <laughs> I love rough. Uh, rough yeah. is so much, that's the way to do it. Because if you, if you make it more polished, you become more in love with it. Oh, yeah, it's harder yeah. than to make the changes. So if you draw quick and clear, it's always got to be clear. That's that's really the whole point of it. But if you can draw quickly and just try out an idea, then – and if the idea is not working, it's not because that person is bad or the – but the idea might not fit. And right. It's, just, it's, <laughs> it's worth testing it out immediately. So, yeah, I don't want polished. I never ask any artist to do anything polished ever. Yeah. In fact, we always pull back. That's kind of the hard thing, Scott, because all these artists, they all grew up hearing, oh, you're such a good artist. Oh, that's such a nice drawing. Yeah. Way to go. How did you do that shading? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, did you draw that from memory or did you trace it? And we've always been, our whole lives, we've been pumped up with this idea of you're such a good artist. Wow, I could never draw that. So then to, to come into a professional environment where they're saying, that is drawn way too well. That looks like you took forever on that drawing. Can you draw that faster, simpler, smaller? Because that that's what matters. It doesn't matter to have a beautiful drawing. Because guess what? No one's going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> it is not for public viewing. Well, it takes too long, too. Yeah, it just takes too long. The whole idea, it's speed and clarity. Yeah. 
Awesome. And, and actually, so somebody, somebody will see it, but it's not the audience, right? So like when I would, when I would work on different projects, I would often go back because when, when a character animator, especially CG, when you get a scene, it looks like the character just kind of floating across the screen to where the character needs to be. And it just doesn't, it's not very inspiring. So I will always go back to the boards and, and look at the expression on the characters and the, the pose of the body. And, and I'm often a lot more inspired by that than I am sometimes even more inspired than by the direction that I get. Like when somebody verbally tells me what to do, seeing it because of that clarity you talked about where I can, I know exactly what the character's thinking, feeling, doing, seeing that is, is really a, a huge tool. So again, it's not even yeah. just a director's tool. It's also an animator's tool. And because the director has that in place, he can communicate in a way that uh, he, he feels confident that if the animator goes back and looks, that the, the message is always consistent across departments. And yeah, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I have that's always what I've hoped happens uh, as a story artist. I always hope that the story, those boards will be passed on to the layout and then the animators. And I, really, that's where it should stop because then that video should be replaced yeah. with the animations, the play blasts. But that is, that's what I always hope. And I have been disappointed sometimes to hear that boards don't make it all the time to the story artists, uh, or to the animators. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I'm happy to hear that sometimes they actually do get there. Cause that's, that's the best way to go, man. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, I also, I looked in a story, it was a book. It was a, one of the art of books. And oftentimes in the art of books, I'll see the storyboards and they actually put color in them. They actually go and color it like a coloring book and, and fill in some information. It, it, that's, that does seem a little bit overboard to me, but is that something that maybe they do like later on? Well, there's, I have known, I know exactly one story artist that uh, when she boards, she uses color every time. And it's like, Everybody marvels at what she does, and it's always the same discussion. That's incredible, and that's unnecessary. Yeah. Unless you're working on the Schindler's List, where it matters to see that one little red coat walking across. You know, if you're doing something where color is a part of the story, then sure. Yeah. If uh, what you're seeing there is is typically somebody is like, hey, your boards are going to be in the Art of book. Uh, do you want to clean them up? <laughs> and then you add some color. Go in and add some um, some color or, or clean it up a little bit. Yeah, that's cheating. <laughs> it's it's cheating, and it's also like it gives it gives potential storyboard artists maybe the impression that that's what they need to do every time. <laughs> maybe I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I, I do see some moments in films where maybe color like a pop of color would be a great thing. Like in Wally, where Eve, you know, there's they play with the color red and green when it when she gets the plant, right? At that point, that makes sense to me. And and actually, that doesn't really take very long. It's just like you switch the color of the brush you're drawing with, right? In Photoshop or whatever you draw. What do you draw in? Do you use Photoshop? I use Photoshop. Okay, I use Photoshop. I'm yeah. I'm interested in seeing the potential of Procreate on the iPad. I want to see how that works. Yeah, I've seen that you've done some tests, like with Yoda. You did something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I, um, I'm impressed with uh, where cre uh, Procreate is headed, and I want to try to use that more. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, it's right now it's all Photoshop. That's like 
Now, our house is, we use Photoshop all the time and we encourage people to use Photoshop. Though, there, I know there are other softwares out there that are really strong, like Tune. Yeah. yeah. And what's the other one? TV Paint, I guess. A friend of mine works on TV Paint. He loves it. Yeah. It's a pretty expensive piece of software, but it's good. Is it? I, I have not. Yeah. I think it's because, I think with Toon Boom, you pay. This is a this is a newbie question <laughs> to talk about software. <laughs> let's let's dive into something deeper. <laughs> it's just so much fun to talk to you, Glenn. I just want to keep keep riffing, right? So, okay. Oh, I had another question for you. That oh yeah. So, are there, is there something? Are there things about storyboards that you wish that some directors understood better? Yeah, I work with a really good director right now, <laughs> Alessandro Carloni, and he is really good. Yeah. Um, and he comes from the trenches, and I think most directors do mm-hmm. come from the um, the boarding themselves, so they know what works for yeah. them. They know what they want, typically. But I think I see one of the frustrations that comes with, with boarding and from directors is when it's open-ended and they don't know where they want to go. And that that's probably the most frustrating thing, because if... I have a director who knows where he wants to go, but doesn't know exactly how to get there. That's kind of the best world for me because that way I'm able to flex my creativity and he's able to, to respond in a constructive manner. Right. And he can look at it and be like, it's not where we're headed. You know, it's not what I needed to be. And if he can clearly talk about what he actually needs and tell me why things don't work. But if the director doesn't know where the sequence is going, like I, I don't want to name names. <laughs> Which you don't need to. <laughs> yeah. But there was a, I did work with a director where we didn't know what the third act was going to be. We didn't know. That's like starting a joke without knowing the punchline. Punchline, I know. <laughs> and it was so frustrating. And I remember, we didn't know it at the time, but it was his last month working on this project. And he, uh, he just told me, he said, I want you to take a stab at the third act. And I said, great, that's a big assignment. Um, can you tell me where we're going with this third act? What do we, what's the point? And he says, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know right now. And I was like, wow, that's the wrong, that's the wrong thing. Like with the launch, you know, now as a story, as a head of story, uh, I know that, you know, we, we lay out those tent poles of plot that we need to happen. Yeah. And it was I mean, it's like it's it's not a great thing to have too much liberty as a story artist. Well, especially because story structure is such a difficult thing. It is so challenging to get a story right, you know. And and often, I mean, if you don't know where you're going, you go on a road trip. Well, where are you going to end up? You know. Yeah, oh, that's so that's so interesting. What what specifically about Alessandro? Is that what you said his name was? Yeah, Ale. Yeah. What what specifically makes him so good? You say so good because he's in the trenches. Are there other reasons? Well, I I've often said that if if we gave him enough time and resources, he could make the entire movie himself. He's he oh. is, he's a brilliant story artist. He's a brilliant artist just in general. He can paint, design. He his characters are are strong and. He started out as an animator, so he knows motion and he knows emotion. He knows how to carry things. He's he's amazing. He's incredible. So he's just multifaceted and knows all what he what he needs to do. What what makes working with Ale so good is 
uh, he is open to collaboration, yet knows exactly where he wants to go. So he'll help us to understand and define that end emotion and where we need to end up. But then if you have an idea and then you know what you want to do to try to help him with that story, he'll hear you. You know, I've worked with him now on two movies, and in both cases, I've really enjoyed collaborating with him, building a story instead of just being told what to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a good a good director would know that. And and actually, I it's kind of exhausting to have to come up with it all on your own, right? <laughs> to have to come up with every single detail. It's it's really nice to have people there to suggest other other ways of playing a scene. It's kind of like working with an actor in a way. Yeah, and cameramen well, and I think uh, women. <laughs> Most story artists want that freedom to do whatever they want, yeah. Because um, because we're all filmmakers, we all want to make our own movies, you know. And so, when given that freedom, we're happy to take it. The problem is when we get into that review and we're we're pitching things to have a director. The problem comes when the director doesn't know exactly what he wants. Cause yeah. If he doesn't know what he wants, then we're just shooting in the dark. And that's when frustration comes in. And that's when that division happens. And I'm like, well, then never mind, you know, because you don't know what you're doing and I don't know what you want. So I can't help you. And that's and that gets frustrating. But if you've got a director who knows what he wants, but he lets you allows you the creative liberty to kind of go where you think it should go and and test things out, especially quickly, then you get to a point where it's like, you know, you have your fingerprints in the movie that's what everybody wants everybody wants to see themselves on the on screen yeah uh, in whatever form and so if if the director allows for that creative freedom then and knows where he wants to go in the end that's the union of that's like the perfect marriage yeah so it's like you don't want you don't want too much freedom like completely open-ended freedom you want just enough just enough freedom <laughs> I, I don't know I mean, it, it's hard to even say that because again every every story artist is going to want that freedom yeah but in the end to save yourself from frustration and to make a cohesive story because the other thing is there are you know five to ten story artists on a on any given movie or maybe maybe more but that's kind of the ideal size um and if you have five to ten different storytellers coming up with five to ten different stories, you know, you need that director to rein it all in and to make one story out of it. Yeah. The we want the director to be in charge, even though we kind of want the freedom to do whatever we want. Yeah. The end result, we definitely want somebody in charge. But in the moment, we all want that freedom. So yeah. Yeah. So if you were directing a film, how would you and you know you know the story, right? <laughs> You know, you know what the story needs to be. You have a few open-ended areas. How would you direct a story artist in a way that the story artist feels like they have freedom, and at the same time, it serves the larger story that you're trying to tell? Well, some some things are more open-ended than others, right? You've got some story points that the script really matters, and in those cases, I would when we issue that assignment we give them the script and say and it's all about clarity both in communication and in drawing but in in that moment it's like listen these are the words man this is what it needs to be this is what it needs to say and then the freedom is not in the writing but the freedom is in shooting and coming up with a, a camera language that's that fits and that works 
but that's more that's usually a more emotional scene where the mat, the words matter and we need to carry a, a message we need to get a message across really clear in the event of like a, an action sequence that one uh, when when you give out an action sequence you have to be very clear about you know what tent poles need to be hit mm-hmm. this thing goes lost this person wants to get it she dupes him and then they find it you know whatever it is but like so those things those clear things happen and then sometimes out of that you'll find sorry there's lawn mowing it's okay i had a heater just turn on <laughs> i'm almost ready to jump over here and turn it off <laughs> but sorry but in action sequences it's a little easier to open that up and yeah. allow somebody to kind of go crazy yeah. You have to rein it in. You still have to keep it under a certain minute mark, you know, so it doesn't go out of control. But there is some more freedom to open up like that. It can yeah. be really fun. I'm wondering if I need to change my location. This is bad. <laughs> I, I don't really hear it too much. I only heard the dog, and now I hear a little bit of water. But okay. it, it's fine. No, I, we can keep going. This is live. That's what happened. This poster fell down last time. <laughs> so it might do it again. Who knows? So... <laughs> Actually, in listening to you, I think I think my big takeaway, and you can you can correct this or add to it, is let's, if I'm directing a film and I'm directing a story artist, I think what a great thing would be to do is to say, okay, go to them and say, okay, this is this is what I know for sure. This is what I know needs to be hit, and here's where I need your help. Here's where I need your creativity, and and give them those things that that laundry list of stuff. And then I think at the same time they see what your vision is, and then they see, oh, this is where I can play. How would that be? Yeah. 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 No, that that is it. That's when I talk about those tent poles. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Where it's like I need this stuff to happen. Yeah. Um, when I, whenever I watch an artist on something, I use this is gonna sound dumb. I use a, an acronym TCPPY. Where wait, wait, TCPPY? That's yogurt. I don't know if you remember that from me. And uh, I, I guess it might still be around. I'm not even sure. Oh, is it just TCBY? TCBY. TCBY. Yeah, I remember that yogurt. It's tent poles for me, which is the plot. You know, okay. we have to we have to cover this ground. C is camera. You know, and if we have anything specific that they, uh, that, like camera language, to be inspired by, you know, Wes Anderson or or be inspired by Spielberg's Wonder. You know, but like yeah. talking about camera and how to communicate that, and if there's any specific direction on that. B is brainstorming, which tends talks to your point. It's like this is where. I want you to come up with something. I want you to brainstorm and think about this. This is your creative playground. And then why is YouTube? If there's any reference, they can look at it and they can be like, oh, I see what you're talking about. That's that's great. That's so fun. Or, uh, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to have to dive down and, and like really understand what this is. But I think I with those... With those uh, points for me, that's what matters. And then there's other details, of course, like what time of day it is, uh, what happened just before the sequence, and where are you going after the sequence, things like that. Those definitely matter. But just talking about the one specific assignment, it's that TCBY that I, I follow that each time. Man. Now, did you come up with that? or? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I, mean, I think everybody... <laughs> Every story, uh, head of story has something. That they something do. like that, yeah. I really, I like process, and I like, I like to automate things as much as possible. You know, yeah. so if it's something that I can remember, 
uh, easily, I, I tend to do that. And it's, it gets kind of annoying sometimes for people, I think. But that one I don't share with people very much. I just I just deliver. Yeah, yeah. I just, just deliver it. You don't usually tell people the nuts and bolts of how you're delivering, but you... Exactly. Yeah, yeah and that's a better way to say it. <clears throat> because it doesn't... They don't need to know that. They just need the information. So for me, that works to help organize the information. But that's that's just something for me to to you know as an architect of that information just to deliver it when i was thinking about it it's such a creative process like when you were describing the tcby i was envisioning the way i write a book the way i you know animate a scene the way i you know do several things so yeah it's it's really great i really like it so we talked a bit about how you know you've well i guess i guess let's just talk about it now what what is your your big overarching goal for your career where do you want your career to go from here? Well, I, I mean, that's an excellent question. I think I have I have wondered the same thing so many times. Oh yeah, um, it's it's like the constant reanalysis that we do <laughs> all the time, all the time. I yeah. think we all want to be directors, don't we? Yeah. We all want to direct. We all want to tell our own stories. We all want to have that. I don't know. I want to say control, but that control is a myth. You know, we'll never get away from control. There's always somebody saying what you can or cannot do. But I don't mind that. I I think that it's good and it's important for us to have limitation. Uh, so I don't I don't I don't begrudge that at all. Um, but I think for me, what I want to do is I want to direct. I want, to, I want to put a project out there to improve and help this world instead of adding to any kind of ugliness. I, I got into feature animation because in the States, it's typically seen as family, family content. You know, it's typically something for the entire family to enjoy. And that's who I am. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So I... I'm interested in, in creating things that will lift and, um, and inspire and, and entertain rather than to, you know, spread fear or uh, anger or, you know, whatever. It's not, I'm not interested in that, that kind of storytelling. It exists and a lot of people make a lot of money and they do a lot with it, but it's not for me. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I, uh, I'm raising four kids. I love them. I'm, I'm, you know, my wife is incredible. And so for me to contribute to that and a family experience is, that's the dream. To have something up there on the screen to share with family and enjoy with friends. That's like, that's, that's the pinnacle. Yeah. I, I can mirror that. <laughs> you, you described, you described my goals as well. That, that's, that's awesome. And, yeah. and, 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 and again, I have friends who, you know, that's the kind of stuff they want to direct is the really dark and heavy type of stuff. And I, I respect, you know, that that's what they want to do. And, and they respect that, that this is what I want to do. And I, I think that it's nice to have, it's nice to have a variety. It's, to, it's nice to have for people to have a choice of what they can watch and uh, <clears throat> what kind of voice they want to hear. So yeah, that's really great. So you get it, you get into this position. What are the biggest lessons that you'll take from great directors that you've seen forward into your directing? What would those big lessons be that you'd take forward? One of them is, uh, I mean, I've, I've already talked about this quite a bit, and you can tell it matters to me, but clarity yeah. of communication is like a huge thing mm -hmm. for me uh, personally. And, and when I, I'm inspired when I see people who know what they want and can communicate it clearly. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, though, flexibility in, in the direction. Because I, 
I, there's a, a balance between sticking up for and fighting for what you believe in and uh, and then allowing yourself to change and to grow and to do something different than what you originally saw. There's a balance to be struck in there and sometimes it'll be more important to fight and sometimes it'll be more important to take direction and to move the way that that the studio is pushing you. That is that's something I see over and over and it's something that and then I guess the the third lesson for me is striving for excellence. You know, again there's a balance between that's good right? That's good enough. That does what I need. And I need to push it. I need to go more. I know that that's, there's a balance to strike with that where you're like, nah, nah, we need more. Or you get to that point where you're like, that's not important right now. You know, we can, we can handle that in animation. Yeah. That, uh, that communicates what it needs and then we can move forward. But that, I mean, that's in everything. That's in character design. That's in lighting. That's in animation and story. Mm-hmm. That's in final it's in music and in sound effects it's everywhere but it's it's that knowing when to say that's good and and allowing the process to go forward yeah well that's the other thing it's like how do you know when the story is ready for the big screen it's, it's, it seems so elusive to me sometimes. Like sometimes I'm really confident in something, and then other times, like I mean, every I, I just dealt with this, you know, recently. Every every author gets a bad review. Every every artist gets somebody saying they don't like the work, and then you kind of have to gauge that and and see whether it's true and what you can learn from it. Yeah, you know, I think that the the big measuring stick uh, about um, with movies and stuff because you're right, nobody's gonna love everything, every shot. Right. <laughs> People can look at Citizen Kane and, and tear it apart if they want to. <laughs> if yeah. they want to, but the thing is, it's like for me, it's it's the big measuring stick for it is if they felt what you intended them to feel. The worst thing that could happen is confusion. It's not yes. if they hate it. And, and it's and it's not if they make a cult out of it. It's if they don't understand it. Because if they hate it, then you struck an emotion. <laughs> you yeah. got them to feel something. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, it's not the ideal. No, no. <laughs> but at least you you know you struck a chord somehow. But the worst thing is confusion. So, and that that's kind of like when somebody just says, "Man, I don't care," you know, because even the the best worst movie is revered in a way, you know. And it's like you want your work to be remembered. It's our ticket to immortality. It's like that's what we're trying to do here: is to make something that will become a family legacy that people will enjoy and cherish and watch again, repeat times, right? Not only for the money, but for the enjoyment of it. Because like Hollywood, of course, is the under the underlining of everything is money. They they want to. And they want to make a ton of money. You know, you look at the reviews for Star Wars, and I've seen a lot of things where they just went over $800 million in the box office. It's been around for two weeks. You know, $800 million. It's huge. And Disney executives are disappointed. That's because, you know, they're, they only care about that, that underlining dollar. Will several people watch it again and love it? Yeah, of course. And so in that case, J.J. Abrams, good job. You know, you did a great job. Yeah. It was it was a fun movie that a lot of people absolutely enjoyed. And some people are upset. Okay, that's fine. Because those are the nerds who are so invested that they have their own ideas of where it's going to go. Yeah, you're not going to please them. 
$800 million. And if you, you come out on the other side thinking that's not good enough, uh, you know, that's that's weird. That's just a, that's, that's the wrong measuring stick, in my opinion. Of course, now that's, that's coming from a, a storyteller, not a, an artist point of view. Yeah. Well, I share the point of view. Like I would love to make money, lots of money on my stuff. At the same time, if that's the only reason I tell a story, then what story am I going to tell? You know, <laughs> if the reason I tell a story is because there's something incredible I want to discover or something well, amazing that I think the world, the world needs to talk about, then yeah, I, I think that's the reason to tell a story. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, no. There are some movies that were um, box office bombs, you know, like Shawshank Redemption for life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the the public didn't receive them very well, and the executives must have thought, "Oh, these are stupid movies." Clearly, they're not. Well, yeah, both of those I hear analyzed over and over and over and over, and it's a wonderful life. They, people watch it every year. I watched it last year and cried again. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's just it's one of those things where uh, time will tell. You know, does it yeah. with an audience? Yeah, those those really really did. Unfortunately, though, Scott, you and I both know tons of movies come out and nobody cares yeah so there are a lot of movies that that hit the screen that don't matter so and they even make a lot of money at times and they even make a lot of money yeah which is um um, to go back to your earlier question of like what my career goals would be it's like i want if i do have that opportunity to direct i want it to be good enough where it is uh fun and interesting sure but that it strikes an emotion and kind of calls for a repeat view that people enjoy it enough that they want to see it again and that they they keep it around that it's something it'd be great if it was something traditional that people could see once a year. Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not necessarily the goal. It's just to have something that people can enjoy, genuinely enjoy. Yeah. And I like that idea of repeat viewing. That's that's one of the biggest compliments I think you can get as a storyteller. It's like, oh, I'm going to wa- read it again. You know, I'm going to watch it again. It's like, oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I worked on Boss Baby. And, and we had, I would hear over and over from moms, especially. They're like, ugh. <laughs> movie, it's on all the time at my house. <laughs> I love that. I love hearing that. I mean, yeah. those the kids, they really liked it. Yeah. And that they, they enjoyed seeing it. And the parents, like, it was always a, a kind of backhanded compliment, but uh, they would say it re- it replaced, what is it they said? It replaced Frozen in their home. <laughs> I was so pleased by that. Like, Frozen was on repeat before. And yeah. Then, and we we surpassed it. I was like, yeah, that's great. Didn't make a ton of money in the box office. Yeah. But I know that a lot of families have enjoyed it, so that's cool. And they made a they made a TV series of it, so it must have done well enough. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, is the is the executive producer on that, the showrunner. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, you worked on All Hill King Julian, didn't you? A bit on the boards. On which one? All Hell King Julian. Oh gosh, one episode. Oh, okay. Not really. Yeah, I animated on that, so that's it's an interesting. Oh, did you? Yeah, that's connection. Cool. Yeah, I was only I was on that for one episode in between screenings. I was working on Boss Baby for DreamWorks, and you know, after a screening, usually there's a lull where we don't have any specific work to go on, and so they loaned us out to to DreamWorks TV to to board an episode for all hail king julian 
Yeah. And I only did half of one episode, but it was it was fun. Was it more boards than usual? What's that? It seems like it was more boards than usual. When I would go back when I was animating, it seemed like they put a lot of information in there. A lot of extra boards to give indications of the... I, I don't really know. Because uh, <laughs> for me at the time, I hadn't done any television boarding at all. I was only familiar with feature boarding. So. Mm-hmm. When I when I did that one, I just poured it like I would a feature, and uh, there was a musical number, so we had to add a whole lot of. Uh, it just it was a bigger deal, yeah, uh, big a bigger sequence, and so I added a bunch of things, but and I do remember getting my wrist slapped a little bit where they were like, "Don't you know you can't have too much in there because we don't have the budget for that." Okay, so I was kind of introduced to what working for TV was like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. Oh yeah, you know what? Now you mention it because I, I directed a, uh, a TV show for DreamWorks. Yeah, the Rescue Writers, right? Yeah, Rescue Writers. Yeah, it was a spinoff of the Dragons Universe, and I remember it. Like at one point, they told us no more than seven characters ever on screen, and uh, except for the rare occasion, and then um, and if you can, lock off the camera as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh gosh, this is this is so different from feature because it's almost like in feature, it's like you try to break the system in storyboard. You know, you try to come up with the, the biggest, most outlandish, weirdest thing that uh, will frustrate the animators and the <laughs> and the the effects people as much as possible. Yeah. We're always going for spectacle and something cool and big. Yeah. But with TV, it was just that was much more of a limitation. Yeah. It was interesting to learn that too. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. <laughs> I was putting too much into my first shots and I learned how to pull it yeah. back. I still find that with because some clients, they just have a low budget. And in order to finish it on time, I just always have to pull back and be yeah. very specific with what I do with those characters. And uh, there's a lot to be learned from that, from both mindsets. So. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool that we went on that tangent. <laughs> so the big the big question that we ask at the end of every episode is what moral responsibility does a content creator, an animator, a filmmaker have to the world culture? It's called the get wiser moment. <laughs> well, Scott Wiser. <laughs> not all of us can be wiser like you. But um, it's hard, it's hard. I remember one time, remember one time we had um, when I was working at DreamWorks. The president of Israel came to our company. I don't know why. I don't know. And we, we just were everybody everybody gathered around in that main uh, main area. And uh, there's all these buildings around, and then there's like a, a big open courtyard kind of place with a fountain, you know. And we all we all crammed in there. It was probably about 1,500 people to listen to this guy speak. And he brought that up. He said that um, he mentioned that there is a responsibility for filmmakers and for this studio and specifically for two reasons one was for because we're exporting american culture right we're showing people what americans think is right and fun and good and then the other thing is to remember the children and to remember what the you know the the messages that are communicated to them and that to me was uh i was blown away by that i thought that was really really impressive he shared with us how important it was to share a message that helped and uplifted and gave a bright spot because not everybody has such a nice fun easy existence some people really really struggle yeah and have a really hard time so uh sometimes i feel guilty 
that I, I get to play and have so much fun in my work. But the opposite is also true, that we're putting out there good things to help people through potentially difficult times. Yeah. And I think uh, in storytelling, it's not enough to give the cotton candy equivalent of storytelling. It's not enough to make something just fun. No, I don't think so. We need, we need to make things that matter and make something where somebody looks at it and they learn and they grow. So in short, it's like the Pixar model. It's to do something that's entertaining and fun, but that strikes a chord and makes you think just a little bit. And so oh, yeah. you watch it again, later you entertain, but you're, you're, you know, there's a good discussion on the ride home. If yeah. You can look at it and they can be like, well, dad, what does that mean? And, and you can and you talk about it with the kids and, and, to, and to share. So instead of just going with the flow and, and doing maybe what everybody wants it to be, maybe taking a stand and, and doing something that matters. Yeah. I love that you brought up Pixar, too, because that question, the word moral, well, not moral responsibility, the world culture comes from Ed Catmull, who in, I think it was in Creativity Inc. that he was talking about one of the questions they ask about a film as they're considering it is, does it impact the world culture for the better? And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I always, I always kind of like to kind of push off, push off a lot of my beliefs as I'm developing something in a way. Like if it's, if it's political, if it's something that I can just go to right away and say, yeah, this is what I think is true. I, I try to kind of search deeper than that try to kind of explore more and learn and become a better person as, as I uh, develop a piece of content. So, and I, th- I think that that might be one of the keys. Are, are there any other keys that you could think of that would, would help you know that you're, you're developing something that impacts the world culture for the better? You know, every now and then you hit like, <clears throat> you hit these pure and clear messages Yeah, where people are, where every culture understands it. Like nobody's going to say that being selfless is a bad thing. And so you'll find a lot of, a lot of stories dealing with being selfless or, you know, discovering who you are. But even that is like, that can become trite if it's not handled in, yeah. in a uh, unique and interesting way. So the, the idea is to like hit those truths but hit them in a way that, that uh, can inspire thought and, and have people grow and learn from, from what you're doing. So, yeah, and, and now I get to work with John Lasseter and, and, uh, and we're having a lot of those same conversations that he had in, in Pixar where like not only is it interesting, but what is the cultural responsibility that we have because we are putting something out there for a general audience, for everybody to see. And it's not just something that is to just fill somebody's day with crap. It's like, let's do something that that actually matters. I don't know if I'm expounding on it well enough for you, but but it is there is a moral responsibility uh, to put something out there that is not only thought provoking, but uplifting. Yeah, I think that's that's really what I want to uplifting is a good word. Yeah, because it it raises everybody a little higher and and that's why I would avoid something like politics personally, because politics tends to like divide people and bring us all lower. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. or, or, you know, other, other ideologies might be, might be, uh, like often to keep, keep you walking in a circle or, you know, and then circular logic isn't good for the, the world either. I mean, we all need to kind of raise up and that's, the, so, I mean, I think you did a good job of articulating it because it, the reason I ask this question every episode is because it's just something that I, I'm trying to articulate and over and over, I, that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm trying to build my brand around is, is this 
impacting the world culture for good. And uh, and what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I know that I'm doing it? So yeah, I, I think that was a great answer. I I loved especially the you know talking about the the leader from Israel and and that sort of thing. And that I wasn't expecting that kind of an answer, you know. And so that was a, that was a great story to tie in as well. So we actually have to end here. It's it's pretty sad. This has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, where can people find you? Where should they connect with you? I'm not very good at social media stuff, but I do have a, an Instagram yeah. uh, account, The Grateful Dad. It's yeah. G R eight F U L underscore D A D. Yeah. So The Grateful Dad. I, I wish it was because I loved The Grateful Dead so much. I don't really care for The Grateful Dead. <laughs> you just be grateful to be a dad. <laughs> it's just I. I I am I am three things. I am a dad, I am an artist, and I am, uh, I don't know, optimistic? I don't know. <laughs> an optimist. So, yeah, for me to put those things together, it mattered. It yeah. mattered a lot. So Awesome. And that the link to that is in the, the show notes down below. And uh, the link to connect with me is down below as well. Uh, scottweiser.com slash follow. Or Instagram is scottkweiser is my handle. So... And yeah, thank you. Thank you for everybody for uh, tuning in. And thank you, Glenn, for being here. It's been a wonderful discussion. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. This has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, take care until we see you next time. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser, produced by Lauren Shaken, copyright Scott Weiser, LLC 2019.